Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, my co-host Marcus, and joining us again for part two of Fedcember from Schoolyard Social, Lucas Pickering. Lucas, welcome back. Yeah, no, thank you guys. It's uh it's always a pleasure to be back. I always love talking Fed. This one is gonna be a little more of a doozy than uh than the last one, but I uh yeah, I'm excited to hear what you guys think. Um, I know the three I have are very, uh, they're all tough. So uh, it's going to be a tough one to get through, but I'm glad I got uh, i got you guys to commiserate with. Yeah. So as, as Lucas has sort of uh, tipped you off there, part two of Fedsember is going to be about his disappointments, something that Myself and Lucas definitely do not like talking about as Fed fans ourselves, but we have to uh, if you're going to really summarize the guy's career. So uh, let us have Lucas, actually. You could kick us off by giving your uh, top Fed disappointment. So, yeah, I mean, I think the one that hurts the most for me and I think hurts the most for, for every Fed fan is the 2019 Wimbledon loss to, to Novak having two match points, um, you know, in that fifth set. What, what makes that such a hard match to stomach is that, um, you know, Federer had played an unbelievable tournament. People forget how great that semifinal match was against Rafa he beat Rafa, and he actually was the better player against Novak in that final. Like, I mean, every every set Novak won was a tiebreak. Every set Fed won, he got a break. Um, and it's just one of those real, you know, like I would trade a lot of matches um, for Fed to, you know, I would trade the Roddick loss in 09, or like the, the Roddick win in 09 that he beat Roddick in that whatever, 16, 14, fifth set. Um, you know, for this one, because it also would have been just such a, um, you know, incredible feat to have beaten, uh, Rafa, then Novak at, uh, you know, as a 37 year old or, or whatever age he was at, at the time. But that's the one that, that hurts the most. So interested to hear what you guys think about that. Yeah. Can't really argue that one. That is definitely the top of the list um you know that 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 is like the ultimate Federer disappointment like he's so late in his career he's gone through a couple of knee surgeries uh no one ever thought that he even might win a slam again even though he you know disproved people after winning it after five years between 2012 2017 and we thought okay he had like a little you know Cinderella story here but like he probably won't win another one and then he chews up Nadal and then the fact that he's up 40 15 serving to close that out. And that could have been, I mean, Frankie, as we all know, is like convinced that this man would have retired on the spot. Um, I'm not going to disagree with that theory because it it does seem plausible. However, it was just so gut wrenching because not only was it, you know, his, his last chance for a real grand slam contention, another Wimbledon, but it was also against Novak and him and Novak are clearly pushing each other. Um, they haven't had like the best of relationship throughout their career. It's not like him and Rafa where at least you can kind of be happy for Rafa. I'm sure he was not happy that he lost to Noel. Um, so that one is, is Lucas. That's like the obvious, obvious choice that we just had to get out of the way. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that is by far the worst moment as a Fed fan that I can really remember. Just, you, he had to win that match. There's just no other way to say it. Like, he had to win that match, and it's going to end up being so meaningful for him and the, the GOAT talk because if Federer wins that match, he has another Wimbledon over Novak, so that pushes his lead there. He has one more Grand Slam. Novak has one less, so Novak's on 21 right now rather than 22, I think. So there's just so many different consequences that go from that match that, you know, I, I think are really just so devastating to think about. For me, I think, I mean, there's a lot of matches we're going to talk about here, but I, I'll I'll keep it to the big ones first. This is the match that Roger Federer in September called the toughest loss of his career and by far the hardest to take. And it's the 2008 Wimbledon final against Rafa Nadal, which at the time most believed was the greatest match ever played. So, you know, that was sort of that watershed moment in tennis history where Rafa Nadal won a major that was not on a clay court. And that moment really, for me, signifies the end of Federer's prime and the beginning of Rafa's, if you want to call it that. But it's just that I think is really, in terms of disappointing, it's disappointing for a number of reasons. One, that's a match that Fed really should have won again. But B, I think it's a moment that for all of us, we started to see the decline. Um, I think it begins right there at that match. And uh, for the first time in, you know, four years, five years, it wasn't really as clear that Roger Federer was the best player in the world anymore. So for me, 2008 Wimbledon has to be on there. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, uh, Frankie. I, I would actually have to disagree with you on that just because I think it's such a different... That 08 match was such high level. And I thought, you know, Rafa, you know, first two sets played incredible tennis, won the first two sets 6 4, 6 4. And it took an insane amount of like resilience and grit for Fed to get back in. And, you know, obviously that fifth set was magical. But I, I do think that it was like Rafa really rose to the occasion. And it was less about Fed losing that match than Rafa kind of taking it. But, you know, that that's up to, to debate. But just just going back to that Novak thing, because I think, um, you know, the reason why losing to Novak in that fashion hurts so much more, like what Marcus was saying, like if it was against Rafa, maybe we would think differently. But the, the fact that Federer in 2011 lost to Novak in the semis having two match points, and then in 2010 – lost to Novak having two match points. It's three times against your biggest rival or or your second biggest rival that you lose a Grand Slam match with having match points. It it's just it's just really hard to to believe. And I did some kind of like, you know, background like research stuff and it's kind of shocking. Federer has lost 23 times when he's had a match point. And you look at Rafa, he's had that's happened to him eight times. You look at Djokovic, that's happened to him three times. 
You look at Murray, that's happened to him five times. Like, if you add up Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray, all three of them combined don't have many times they've lost being up a match point that Federer has. So it's just a, it's just a very, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, a, it's just a weird thing. It's a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think the Wimbledon losses, I think that the Novak loss is worse. I agree. But, and like, I think that that is like, if you're, if you're going to have like the positives and negatives for, for Roger Federer, I think a very clear negative is clutch. He's just not, I mean, the, the, the stats absolutely leave you to believe that Roger is not clutch. There's been too many matches in his career where he has had match points including my second pick actually for his most disappointing that it's like he he can't close it and i mean the wimbledon the 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 novak one's worse because he was on serve for that one i i mean and that's like if you're going to like of all of these guys roger probably has the best serve of of the three of them so it's just like how do you let this happen and so for me you know i, I don't know i i'm not going to disagree with you i just think that when you factor in like the career trajectory stuff of 2008 and the fact that Roger himself calls it his most disappointing moment. I think that has to be on the list. It's disappointing for sure. Um, I wouldn't say that that's one of his worst because that was just pretty epic from both of them, honestly, and it could have gone either way. And Roger also had a fantastic 2009 after that. Um, yeah, lost in the final again to uh, Nadal at Australian, which was my original pick for the disappointment. Um, he won the French. Uh, pretty sure he won Wimbledon, and they lost in the final. So he made the final four slams that year. So I wouldn't say that's like the end of his prime. Um, probably thereafter it started to go down. Uh, and yeah, he's you know what it is? He's just not as clutch as the other guys. That's really it. He is still clutch, but... He's just had a lot of more moments where he just kind of broke down against those guys in pivotal moments. For me, guys, and I, this one's a little bit outside the box, biggest disappointment, um, Roger Federer never winning Olympic gold in singles. So, that was my pick. For, that was my second pick, 04 and Olympics. No, not even – well, 04 is one of them against Nicholas Masu. However, I was even going to go 2012 because he wins Wimbledon – he beats Murray at Wimbledon final. And then four weeks later, they play the Olympics on grass at Wimbledon. And he gets smoked in the final by Murray 6-2, 6-1, That has got to be hugely, hugely disappointing that he literally just beat Murray. And then not, it's not like he, you know, if he lost in five sets, I'd be like, okay, that's fair enough. But he got blitzed. And that was his last kind of legitimate shot at winning uh, Olympic gold in singles. We know he has a doubles title with Stan Wawrinka from uh, 2008, but that one in 2012, that was really his opportunity to go get Olympic gold, which uh, Rafa is the only one out of the big three uh, to possess. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to argue the 2012 one. I hear you. My counter to that would be that Andy is playing on home turf. So I think it's it's kind of harsh to expect... <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, Wimbledon too. I, just I mean, I I I hear you, but like Murray also like Murray played real. Like I I hear you. For me, O four is worse. He loses in the second round to to a young Thomas Burdick in the second round after like ha again having match points. It's That's just true. like that is the clearest opportunity as day he is in his prime 
undoubtedly in his prime. Like, there's just no one else in his path. Like, listen to these top seeds. Roger was one. Andy Roddick is second seed. He bounced in the third in the in the third round. Carlos Moya is the third seed. He got bounced in the quarters. Tim Henman is the fourth seed. Juan Carlos Ferrero is the fifth seed. David Nalbandian, who was the sixth seed, who you're going to say, oh, he plays Roger really well. He ends up withdrawing from the tournament. So Roger's biggest threat on paper is already out. And like you have Rainer Schutler, Sebastian Grosjean, and Marat, and a younger Marat Safin. Well, it's not really that young, but ninth seed Marat Safin, who also gets bounced in the second round. Like this was just a clear opportunity where Roger is head and shoulders above everybody else that he just has to win that tournament. He has to win 2004 Olympic gold for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally with you, Frankie. That that is probably the strangest winner of an Olympics of Nicholas Masu winning the 04 like what? And also and Federer in 04 was in the league of his own. You know, he was playing such a I I can't explain what happened in that. I mean Thomas Burdich at the time was ranked 74 in the world. Like I don't know. That that one is perplexing. Doesn't make any sense. Guys, while while we're talking about Olympics, 2008 he loses to James Blake in straights. I mean, shout out to Marty Fish, by the way, for the silver medal in 04. Let's not forget uh, yeah, that. I mean, but still, like, you know, Fed, again, I think, I think, Frank, you're right, but also his opportunity there was 2012 was in the final two. And you just, like, you just beat Thought this guy. It. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not you know? going to. I'm not going to disagree. That's definitely on the list. 2012 Olympics, 100% on the list. But 04 is worse for me. I That was my second pick, what I was going to mention next. But 04 Olympics, like, you just have to win that. Like, he's in his prime. There's, like, no doubt in the world that he is the best player on the court. And it's like, how do you lose to Tomas Bert? Like, and again, we're not talking about prime Tomas Murdoch, who was, like, a really good player, but, like, we're talking about like a 19 year old or something, right? Thomas yeah, he's like, 20. like, come on. Like, how do you have that happen in Europe, too? So you can't even say it's like some like weird time difference or like not home fans, like whatever. Like, it's in Europe, it's in your backyard. Like, come on. Yeah. The reason why that one, like the Olympics, is not on my top three, it's just because I don't think the Olympics is as big for tennis as it, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think the Olympics is bigger than the year end championship, you know? And I, I guess people, people find the Olympics for tennis, like a huge thing, but like, I don't know. Are we really saying Nick Masu is like, is an incredible player? Cause he won the 04 Olympics. Like, no, we don't. Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's it's a great tournament that he had, but it's That's exactly what he is. He's a top ten player who's got an Olympic gold. Not, I mean, he's got yeah. more than Roger Federer and more than Novak Djokovic. No, I mean, I I guess, but I just I don't think it's as prestigious as, as a tournament as as others. So, and that's probably where you and and Frank and I are in agreement personally that we think the Olympics has a lot of value. Just because it is held every four years, it is like that tournament. It is that like a prestigious, you know, award within sports. But that's just mainly kind of a, I, I guess, a difference of opinion. But yeah, am I right, you, Frank? If you want to tell me that it's not as good as the year-end championships, that I'll listen to. I, I think there is merit to that. 
but I think it is I I think it is if if it's not for me it's on the same it it's worth more than the the ATP finals but it it has to be in the top 6. I mean it it's got to be the four majors you know year end championships olympic gold like that's your big 6 for me. Like like if you if you don't say that then you're telling me that Indian Wells is more valuable than the Olympics which like yeah, I, I and, just disagree. Well with where you. where do you guys play Davis Cup? Where's that? Where's that ranking? Oh boy, we're all right. We're getting off topic now. We're getting we're we're, we're getting off yeah, topic. Yeah, I mean that that's actually a good episode that we can do when we talk about like that's the like hierarchy a goat. of tournaments. Yeah, no, 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 not yeah. even goat. Just like hierarchy of tennis like tournaments importance. But yeah, sure. I mean for me, for me the Olympic gold thing is a big deal. So I I would rank, you know, the Olympics losses quite highly. Uh, just to get us back on topic, I would say that. Another really disappointing loss that I know that Lucas is definitely going to mention because he mentioned it on the last podcast is the finals loss to Del Potro at the U.S. Open. I, I think that has to be there. That win would have really been like what well, that would have been for six U.S. Opens in a row. I mean, that would have been a really crazy mark to have and would have made him by far and away clearly the best player in U.S. Open history, in my opinion. And you know now. I think there's still an argument to be made that he is. He won five in a row. But I think getting that sixth in a row would have been quite the accomplishment, especially because Delpo had been pretty exhausted in the previous round. So it's it and like Federer again, like still relatively in his prime, like in that oh nine realm. Like if he's not at his prime, he's like starting to maybe just go past it, like I mentioned. So for me, two thousand nine US Open's gotta be there. I think that's a good one. I mean, I think you look at 09, 2010, 2011, Federer at the U.S. Open. He loses the Del Potro final. He's up two sets to one. It just, it's a weird match. It looks like he kind of like puts, like, I don't know, he just like doesn't fully focus. Like, I don't know. It's, it was something weird happened and Del Potro, you know, came on fire. But then 2010, He's got two match points against Novak in the semis. If he wins that match, he's playing Rafa in the finals. They've never played on a at the U.S. Open final. That you know he could definitely win that match. Rafa 2010 was actually playing incredible tennis. Do you guys remember Rafa was serving like 135 miles per hour that year? Yeah, he made yeah, that was grip, insane. He made the the grip change to right. an Eastern or semi Western grip on his serve, serve, and that added mm-hmm. like. 10 miles an hour or something crazy. But yeah, so yeah. so there was that in 2010. And then 2011 has two match points against Novak, who is having one of the great years of any tennis player. And he wins that match. He's probably going to beat Rafa in that final. And like, there's a really, you know, obviously the what ifs are like, you know, it's not a great argument because like, you know, anything could happen. But like, he could have won 09, 2010 and 2011. That could have been eight, u.s opens in a row i mean like people say he's the greatest um you know wimbledon player greatest grass court player but like very easily he could have been head and shoulders the greatest u.s open player of all time but he just didn't get it done in those in those three matches so i think i think it could still be argued that he is the greatest u.s open player of all time because there's no one else that really kind of comes close i mean joker only has Pete Sampras, yeah. Joker only has three. Nadal's got like maybe four. 
or of something. The, no, of the of the big three, Fed is easily the best at the U.S. Open. And also, I would even argue all time, he's still the best at the U.S. Open because he won five in a row. But I, I think, I think what Lucas said and I am saying is that if he gets that sixth in a row, there's no discussion. He is the best U.S. Open player of all time. And as we've discussed on this podcast, even the U.S. Open is by far seemingly the most competitive of the majors with each of these top players, because it's one that none of them have really dominated. Yeah, and it's one that sprinkles in like a random winner every once in a while, like a Del Potro, a Vavrinka, a Murray. Um, it, it's totally random. Another one that I, I, I think is overlooked, guys, and I want to hear your opinions on this. 2009 Australian Open. I agree. And the reasons being, uh, he pretty much dominated. I'm looking at the draw here. He won every single match in straights. Uh, he did beat Burdich in five sets, coming back from two sets down. Uh, he should be beating Nadal on a faster hardcore down in Australia, and he blew through Roddick in the set. He beat Del Pocho 6-3-6-0-6-0 in the quarters. I mean, that is just absolutely nasty. Um, exp- explains Delpo's kind of revenge at the Open, why he wanted to get him. But I think that's a match that Rogers got to win at the 9 Australian. That's kind of like – that's your bread and butter on hardcore against Rafa like that's you know you you just got to close that out that gives you another slam tally there that prevents Rafa from ever winning the Australian obviously he won it now in uh 2022 but you know the the whole paradigm would have changed because it would have been like well Nadal is missing that Australian title that he's always been seeking um that's you know I want to hear your guys thoughts on that one yeah I think any opportunity to take a major away from Rafa Nadal that is not on a clay court i.e. not at Roland Garros, is very, very important. Because Rafa's entire argument for me from that perspective, from like a Rafa fan perspective, is building his resume outside of Roland Garros. So the more that you can concentrate Rafa's resume within Roland Garros and say like, oh, he's just the greatest clay court player of all time by such leaps and bounds, but in re- but like when you take him to every other court, he doesn't have as much success. So that's why, like for me, the Wimbledon 08, Australian 09, those are incredibly important matches for Roger Federer that he has to win and close out because it detracts from Rafa's resume while also building Rogers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a really good point. I think the oh nine, especially that oh nine final, Rafa's coming off a semifinals against Verdasco, right? That was like, I want to say like Epic. over five all hours, time match. all time match. Yeah, I mean, Rafa was probably what like twenty two, twenty three years old, so he could, you know, he he gets back pretty easily. But like, I mean, Marcus, do you have the draw up there? Who was a uh, Fed playing in the semis? Oh, in oh, he beat he beat he beats Roddick six two seven five seven five cleans him out like usual. Right. I mean, you, you got to win that match. And that, if I'm remembering correctly, Fed had like so many break points in that match, and just couldn't convert. That that's an that's another thing that I was trying to find, but like they don't really have good stats on this. It's like I'd be willing to bet Federer has lost more matches while winning more points in the match uh 
than any other player in history. Because you see yeah. so many times he's holding serve at love. It's a it's a one minute game, and then he's you know he's returning, and it's like so many ad points, so many break points. Doesn't get it done. It goes to a tie break. Loses the tie break. It's like Jesus. Yeah. Well, the thing with Roger, like I guess this is also a disappointment from like a gameplay perspective, right? If you're gonna nitpick Roger's game, it's that he doesn't have the same margin for error on the serve that Rafa and Novak have because Rafa and Novak are arguably one and two for the greatest returners of all time. And Roger is just not that right. I I don't even know where I'd place Roger. I mean, I'm sure maybe he's in the top 10, but like I would say that Lendl's better. Borg is better. Murray's better. I, I, you know, now Agassi is better. I I could, like I said, we, we could keep going here. But it's just all to say that like Roger has to have his serve on because if he doesn't, it's just not as likely that he's going to win that match. Whereas Novak and Rafa, their serve has been arguably the weakest part of their game for most of their careers, if not their entire career. And they've been able to sort of jump past that because in tennis, as a server, you naturally have an advantage. So that's one. And two, they're the greatest returners of all time. So for them, breaking serve is just part of the get like that. That's their shtick. So I, I, I would generally agree with, with everything that, that that's being said. Can I give you guys my second? So, you know, we talked about the first one, the um, 2019 two match points, losing that. And then my, I also had the Olympics not winning an Olympics. Oh, oh no, no, sorry. I didn't have the Olympics. The, the second one I had, was Novak having a winning record over Fed at Wimbledon. I think that just yeah. I think that really hurts for Fed. I think as a Fed fan and you know, I'm going to bring it back a little bit because we didn't mention this in the last episode. But Federer I think more so than uh Djokovic and Rafa got kind of screwed by how all the courts now play very similarly. If you look at Federer when he played Sampras in 01 or, you know, Hedman back in the, like he was serving and volleying every single point and he, the, the grass was so fast. The balls were moving. So like, obviously like the courts have changed. The balls have changed. The services have changed, but like Novak essentially plays the exact same way on every single surface. And he's incredibly good on that. But like, you know, it's, if you're looking at Wimbledon, Novak has seven Wimbledons and has a three to one record against Federer. There's a really good argument to be made that Novak's the greatest grass court player of all time. And I think no Federer fan will ever say that because it's like, well, how can Novak be? He doesn't have the the grace or the style of game to be that good on, to like be as good as Federer. But like the numbers just, it's just really tough for like looking at that, you know? Yeah, the numbers are definitely they're definitely not in his favor on that. Um, I also think, guys, and let me know if this is also insane, but I think it's also kind of disappointing that he never actually and and this is I know this is going to be crazy because that Nadal he never, is, that he never beat Nadal on yeah, play. Yeah. Uh, no, at, at no, Roland he did. Garros. He at Roland Garros. Yeah. yeah, that he never could yeah. just do it. Just at least. 
at least once, my man. Just even, you know, like at least Novak could do it, you know. And that's, again, that's something that is he- going to be held against Roger when, you know, these guys' careers are done and we start having that GOAT conversation. If I'm remembering right, he has not even taken Rafa to a fifth set at Roland Garros. That is accurate. So, so yeah, I, I mean, listen, the the general, uh, I think we'll wrap it up with this, but like the biggest disappointment in Roger's career to be honest, is that statistically, I don't think you can argue that he is the greatest player of all time. I I just don't. I think statistically, like if you look at head to heads, if you look at all of these things that we've been talking about, I think it's really hard to argue that he's the greatest player of all time. He just does not have a winning record against his two biggest opponents. Granted, like we said in the last episode, I think that his opponent's prime is different than his prime. He's in a different age bracket. But regardless, he doesn't have that winning record. And if he would have won those two matches at Wimbledon um, in 2014 and 2019, if he would have, like, you know, beaten Nadal at Wimbledon in 2008, like, we're talking about, like, three sets of Roger's career, literally three sets, that if he wins those, we're having a very different conversation right now. Because he would have a winning record against Novak um, at Wimbledon and overall. Or it would be tied overall, but it would be winning at Wimbledon. And Rafa has one less Wimbledon uh, title than he does now. And Roger gains another, and he has the most majors all time. Same for the so, Australian. Same for the Australian. Same idea. I mean, there. so four sets. Four sets of Roger's career. Four sets. Each of them pivotal in this argument, and he lost all of them. Well, let, let me give you one more that, that's often forgotten. Um, 05 Australian Open semifinals against Safin. He has a match point. He hits a tweener that hits the net. It's like Hewitt's waiting for him in the final. He was destroying Hewitt at that point. Fed in 05 was unbelievable on hard courts. That's a match like... He, you know, you win that. That's just another easy, you know, slam in your bag. Um, so it's, I mean, there's six times in majors he's had match points and lost. You know, like three times to Novak, once to Safin, once to Kevin Anderson. Um, at Wimbledon. That's a brutal match too. Yeah, 20, oh, 2018. 2018. Oh, right. And yep. then I don't know what. This, at least I think the, I think the last one's like Sanga maybe. I don't know what. The- yeah, I mean, at least at least with like Kevin Anderson and and I was going to include that because he would have gone on to face Novak again. But at least with Kevin Anderson, I could say like, oh, yeah, like 2018, Kevin Anderson was playing out of his mind for that year and didn't end up like losing right away. Like Kevin Anderson ended up going making a run to the final against Novak, you know, where it's like the 2004 Olympics. Like, that's why I said that's worse is like he loses to Tomas Burdick, who does nothing like like, like and it's just it, it, it's it's very infuriating. But, yes, I, I think we're all saying the same thing. Like there are five to six sets in Roger's career in five, like each of them in different matches that if he wins them, if he clutches up on even half of them. We're having a very different conversation about the statistical argument for Roger Federer being the greatest player of all time. But Can I just that is going to – yeah, go thing. ahead. And sorry, this. sorry. Last thing. I know we got to wrap up. But, like, you know, fans – like, all all of us find these matches so excruciating. And we get so upset and we're 
But for Federer, I mean, this is why I think this is another reason why we love him so much is that his rebound capability coming from an off from a excruciatingly tough loss is unparalleled. I'd say like, and the the one that comes to mind is the 2019 uh, Wimbledon final losing to Novak, and then the next time he plays Novak is in the year end championship. Um, you know, in the final, everyone kind of you know it's like there's no way that's a mental barrier and then he smokes Novak it's like four and three and it's just like he just doesn't take these losses the same way normal people would he's just like all right lost a tough one you know right back gotta play with the kids you know but yeah just just yeah yeah I think I think all of them to an extent have that I don't think you become one of the greatest players in any sport without having a short memory I think I like that just as a requirement. Yeah. And let's make it clear. All of these guys, you know, obviously this is a Fed separate episode, so we're going to nitpick on Fed's game a little bit. All of these guys have these type of situations where it's like disappointments, you know, Novak's got them, Nadal's got them. Um, so, you know, these will be discussed in the future, but we just want to make sure that we're not like completely destroying Fed here. I'm sure he's very content with his career. We're very content with his career. Um, you know, so, uh, he, yeah. he had, you know, just want to make that clear. Not that like, we're all hating on fit, obviously, which we're not. Um, he, he had a fantastic career, but he had, you know, everyone's got the disappointments, you know, just like Lucas at the, uh, schoolyard sexual te- tennis tournament. <laughs> oh my God. Marcus play, play me now, baby. I'm playing so well. Got a brand new racket. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, if that match ever happens, it'll be on the Breakpoint Podcast Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7 um, to plug that. And I think on that note, we are going to wrap it up here. So thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. You can contact us at Breakpoint, Breakpoint Podcast 7 across any social media that you use, as well as email us, breakpointpodcast7 at gmail.com. And we will do our best to respond to you. If you'd like to be on the podcast, if you have a topic suggestion, please DM us, let us know, and we'll happily have you on. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, guys.